This is an ABC podcast. Yark and yark. I'm not here for this. That sounds like the worst date ever. Played pop punk. Could you imagine anything less romantic? On. Hello, Miss. Hello, Zan. How are you? I am excellent, I think. I don't know, hard to tell. <laughs> it's hard to tell these days. Like, I feel really good, but then also I know that we're recording this as there is a press conference going out in Victoria and I don't know what's going to happen and I feel like it might not be good news. So I feel really good, but then I feel really kind of anxious and nervous about what the next couple of weeks are going to entail here where we are. But um, other than that, the sun's shining. Yeah, feeling good. How about you? Ignorance is bliss. Yes. I have been continually shutting down all forms of social media and not watching the news and I feel happier for it. Yes, yes. It's so good. Like I've been renovating. Um, I'm going to move in in a couple of weeks into the new abode and I haven't been listening to any news or or barely looking at social media. Apologies to those who rely on my animal videos. Um, I've been a bit slack because I just haven't been doing it. (laughs) Um, And it feels so good. It feels so good. Remember what life was like before the internet? Yeah. I was a human being. Looking up and out. Yeah, Yeah. it's good. It is really good. Yeah, so that's, that's our recommendation this week. Turn it, on a bit. <laughs> turn it all off. Turn it all off. Which <laughs> is off. ironic because literally literally our job is to consume the world of music, art, life and stuff. Mm. I will say I have spent a little bit of time online, obviously, and in a very happy place, which is the Bang Box. So oh, many yes, great please. emails coming through after our chat about that awesome Atlantic piece on self-objectification. I just wanted to share a couple. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, um, go back and, and listen to it. No spoilers, believe me. But go back and listen because this really seemed to resonate with a lot of Bang fam, mm. ourselves included. Lauren is one of the people that emailed. She experienced a job loss and also a traumatic life event, which I won't go into the details because it was private and personal. But she did say in the mix of this email, I caught myself a while ago saying, if I had my time again, I'd be an occupational therapist. And I caught myself saying, you don't get your time again. I feel excitement of what's in the next chapter. I have a road and a plan and I can't wait to take it on. I feel like I'm in the edge of something great. Like when you finish high school and you're just buzzing. So Lauren has had that total reset. She's digging in. She's taking life by the reins, the bull by its horns, Mm. and she is going for it. And Izzy, on a different take, but again, something that I think will really resonate with a lot of Bang fam, Izzy's a new mum. She's just had a child and she really connected with the self-objectification piece too. She said, I think a lot of new primary carers of small beings can completely relate to this piece. So much of the past few months I've battled with this internal loss due to my not being in my job and my career and rather restricted to my couch with a kid hanging off my tit. Her words, not mine. I needed to hear this. (laughs) Sounds like my kind of words, though. I love that. (laughs) And she's bang fam, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Izzy says, I needed to hear this and I needed to be reminded that I am not my career. I am instead all the things needed to work in the challenging field that I do. I am all the things needed to support this small being to be the best they can Mm. be. And I am all the things that make me, me. Thank you so much, Izzy. I love that. I love that sentiment. And can I say, like, both of those emails are just perfect. Um, The first one, 
resonates with me because I want to step in, like I said last week, to the next next 50 because we've got a long life if we manage to get that far um, yeah. with that sense of excitement. Like you, when you did finish high school and the world was in front of you, why can't it be like that? But also I've never understood when it comes to new mums why society keeps telling them that they're stepping out or stepping aside or stepping away when in actual fact I imagine that having not had children, why can't we see it as if this is one of the greatest learning experiences of your life? Yeah. You know, like it, it and and I think mums have been encouraged not to be proud of that, you know. I, They learn so much in, in that time and, yes, you're not at your job but I think we should celebrate more that the, the incredible growth that someone would have when they have a child. Um, and, and I think if we reframe a lot of those societal expectations or what you think other people might be thinking, it, it makes it easier on ourselves. We're less critical of ourselves because, gosh, I can't imagine the work and the effort and the relearning that you have to do the minute you you, you have a child or, or even just getting pregnant. You, you're rethinking the world in a completely new way. And I, I say props to all women who go through that. It's incredible and we should celebrate it rather than, you know, make women feel bad about missing yeah. out or whatever it is. Yeah, and I mean it speaks to that focus that we have on work, what we perceive as work, mm. how we value quote-unquote work, all of those things. It seems to be, I think, something that a lot of people are thinking about very obviously driven by the pandemic and how we've had to rethink all the ways that we do work, that we are work, um, maybe that things that we never thought we would do we're now faced with and we realise, oh, actually, we can do it this way. And you shared a fantastic piece that, again, you're just bloody nailing it with these things you're sharing <laughs> with me, Miff. Time Millionaires, a fantastic piece in The in the Guardian. I will preface this by saying that this whole piece, if you do have kids or you care for other people, it is a bit harder to achieve and they do acknowledge that in this yeah. article. But it's such a fantastic piece about, I guess, that shift of um, embracing different kinds of working and, and what is of value to you, you know. It's not necessarily salary or status. Time is a huge part of, of value too. Time is something you can never buy back. You can never um, get more or less of. It stays the mm. same. So what are you doing with your time? I loved this piece. Yeah, it was so good. And that means too, for, for many people who've worked out during this time that they have so much more of it because they're A, not commuting to work back and forth. Like think about that. That's two and a half hours in every day for most people, catching a train, getting to the train station, getting on the train, um, getting into work, that, you know, half hour of chat with everybody but then all the interruptions that you have at work. A lot of people have worked out that they can still do their jobs and perhaps cut that time and it's not about making money off the boss or being slack or whatever. It's just that the standards that have been set, this competitiveness of being present all the time at work, which has really worked in, I guess, the boss's favour as opposed to the worker's favour since industrialisation began, um, that that can be, we can approach it in a different way. Like there's this, there's an example in the article of a guy who has a full-time job, but he says he works in the morning until about 11.30 and that's it. And he keeps his screen on, on a, a video, YouTube video that's just a black screen that plays for 10 hours so they can monitor him. And it, look, it's, it, part of me goes, oh, that sounds a bit sus and dodgy. And That I, guy was sus, Smith. Come I on, that was a that. sus example. I couldn't do that personally. <laughs> but then if you can get the work, he was, he was a bit sus. Um, <laughs> If you can get the work done and does it matter how you do it or when you do it? Like, does it really matter? I, I, I'm not sure. I think 
I think maybe they're onto something. And, and if you've got more time, you are. I like the idea, like I said earlier about flipping the narrative. If you have more time, then you are a millionaire, you know, and you can you can flash your cash around with all your time. Go for a, <laughs> go for a nice wander. What are you doing? I'm just showing off my my millionaire status. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of liked it, but I also kind of felt bad because I think we're so conditioned to the idea that you know you work hard, um, you reap the rewards. You are you you know you are your identity. Your job is part of your identity. All that stuff. Trying to kick that out of my really, really deeply ingrained beliefs is quite hard. Yeah. Um, so that's and why that's, I loved I loved this article, but I also struggled a bit with it. Um, well, you ca- you can't unpack a lifetime of of training in this way of thinking, and and they kind of reference that in the piece. They talk about that you know decoupling your self worth from credits flowing into your bank account and the titles on your business cards. And mm. it's not easy because, like we talked about last week, many people's self esteem is bound up in their work. And one of the people that contributes to the article says, "There's this niggling doubt: Do people think I'm lazy?" You know, mm. our society celebrates overwork as a symptom of great moral probity. It creeps into every part of our society, this hustle culture. If you're not busy or trying your hardest, you're a lesser person somehow. Mm. And that's really hard to unlearn, always being present, always mm. being on the clock, that martyrdom that exists with being the last person in the office or doing work over the weekend, mm. constantly saying, how are you? I'm really busy. It's like, well, everyone's busy. It's not like, you know, you sort of, it's part of the cornerstone of how you value yourself and how you present yourself to the to the rest of the world. Yeah. And so unlearning that stuff takes a lot of time. But I really liked what Isaac Fitzgerald, who features in the piece too, he's a BuzzFeed books author. And again, we're not sort of saying, oh yeah, just do less work and you'll still get the same, you know, monetary reward. If you're able to, as he did, he basically reduced his work to 30 hours a week. His income's Mm. halved. So like I said, not everyone can do this, Mm. but he talks about time as his greatest asset. And so time is very much about going for hikes, going to beaches, spending time in the outdoor world. And he says, it's almost like I'm doing my best to protect my time now. Mm. That comes with being a time millionaire, just as one would want to protect one's investment. I protect my time. So it's a really massive shift in Mm. the way that you think about how you spend your time, what life is going to look like for the next 50 years, as we've been talking Mm. about. And what you want to do with it. People, you know, I've, I've heard, again, like I said last week, that quote, I'm full of quotes at the moment. I've, I've, I'm going to be absolutely one of those people who sticks up motivational yeah, it's um, coming. It's coming. Oh, no, look, I'll pull you aside <laughs> when it starts happening, Dan, but I will also accept that, that this is this is how you're going to approach your next 50. That's fine. Um, this, is how, this is my midlife crisis, <laughs> motivational quotes. But the, nah, there's fine. a great... Do whatever you need. <laughs> here if you need. The, there's that great quote of, you know, when you're lying on your deathbed and someone says, what's your greatest regret? No one ever says that I'd spent more time at work. It's that I'd spent more time with my family, that I'd spent more time traveling, that I'd, you know, done this thing that I always wanted to. It's never that I'd spent more time at work. So you wind back from that point, literally the point of death, of departing, knowing that you've left this life behind. What is it that matters? What is it that's Mm. important? And and what you value, you know, shifting what you value, if you're able to, shifting what you value, I think is really important. Yeah. And and also death to the fetishization of overwork. 
which is something yes. that's come from that real dot-com culture, um, Silicon Valley, that was all about that, you know, let's put pinball ta- pinball machines in and, and ping-pong tables so people can stay at work for longer and beanbags. And it's like, actually, no, they don't want to. I don't think anyone wants to stay for 12, 14 hours a day. Like, you know, sure, you make it a bit nicer, but that was used as a lure, as if it was somehow attractive. But I think now people are realising, actually, I've got a home that's quite nice and I like my friends and my family and I'd like to spend more time with them, thanks. I don't really want to play ping pong into the night. Um, I think that the the other thing that really is the cornerstone of this conversation is trust and agency. Mm. You know, when we're all forced to work from home, what they've found is that, productivity and profits rose in many companies. And I think there's always been this apprehension from certain companies and certain bosses that, no, you can't work from home because basically the subject is I can't supervise you. you. I don't know what you're going to be doing. But really, if you tell someone, here's the work, we believe you'll get it done, we trust you, Mm. absolutely, I believe that most of the time, and it's been seen in these productivity reports, the work is done because that person has agency and they get the work done in whatever way they want to, whether they're doing it in their slippers at 11am or whether they're absolutely smashing it and doing it all before lunch and then spending the afternoon walking around mm. the neighbourhood. The point is that the work gets done and how we think about the work day has shifted because of the pandemic. So maybe there's a large question about how we value those structures of work how we trust employees and the agency that you give your employees and the people that you work with in showing that trust. I just think all of this stuff has just triggered so many conversations that I'm so here for and so ready to plaster up on my walls in multicoloured motivational yes. phrases. Thank you. Thank you. You will be the one <laughs> utilising those. Uh, you know, on Facebook where you can leave a comment and it comes in all brightly coloured colours. That's um, I see this in your future, Zan. That is one of the biggest insults you have ever said to me. I love it. I love that you're (laughs) heading down that path. This just makes me so happy. (laughs) Mif, one of the biggest stories of the week, particularly in the realm that we've worked in over most of our careers, was on Four Corners on Monday. It was the story of Sony Music Australia and specifically of Dennis Handlin, Shocking stories over decades. Um, It's worth watching if you haven't. It's on iView at the moment. And the alleged workplace culture, I think, is is not isolated either. I think this is a story that would have resonated with many people in different workplaces Mm. all over the country. Did you watch it on Four Corners on Monday? I certainly did watch it. And to be honest, from my perspective, what was expressed... I'd been well aware of for a long time. It's a bit like um, Gab, our producer, was saying, Harvey Weinstein, um, everybody knew that that was going on in the business and yet um, the fact that it gets publicised and, and the, the audience is, is much broader, that's when the, the shock kicks in and I think if people were not to know about what had allegedly been going on at Sony, that, that they would have been incredibly shocked by what was revealed in this documentary because it says something about work culture and an unacceptable work culture that, as you said, Zan, is existent in so many other workplaces or has been up until now. And there were some shocking revelations, absolutely awful, and, and um, I just want to say thank you to those people who I imagine have felt terrified for a long time about speaking out um, against such a powerful figure 
and a powerful organisation and, um, and yeah, it, I, I really felt for them because that's, that's kind of years of, of holding in this stuff. I mean, there's so many non-disclosure agreements flying around, I imagine, in all of these conversations because the music industry loves a non-disclosure agreement. Um, and I, I think to, to, to break that and to, to step forward and talk about the alleged abuse that occurred is a really, really brave thing to do. And that word brave gets used um, too much, I think. But when you're talking about situations of abuse and, and discussing it publicly, I think that takes a lot of guts, an awful lot of guts and strength. So um, thank you to those people. And yeah, what was really distressing for me was that um, according to the guests on the program, Sony uh, allegedly knew about these allegations for decades. That is Sony in America, the, the head, Sony New York, allegedly knew about these allegations. And I think that's the distressing thing, that um, if there was abuse occurring in the workplace, it was still accepted because mm. it was working, that that sort of technique of, of dealing with employees was working for them. They were making money and mm. it's a classic case of money talks and... So it was, yeah, I think that was the really shocking thing. I had no idea of the extent of the complaints or um, how long the organisation had known about these um, alleged incidences. So, yeah, it's, um, that, was, that was quite distressing. But, yeah, you, like me, have heard for years all about stuff coming from not just that workplace but many workplaces in the music industry. Yeah, it was interesting watching it with my partner because as we were watching the start of it, he was like, what, this seems like an old story. And I just said, no, they'll get to the current day. It's mm. been happening for decades. That's the point. Mm. And it really felt like towards the end of this episode, it seemed like Four Corners was basically taking it to Sony Music headquarters doorstop and saying, what's next? Mm. Because since Hanlon's departure... It's been relatively quiet. There's no new CEO of Sony Music Australia yet. There's a new chair of ARIA. Some people may know, and if you've seen it, you know that Dennis Handlin was also the chairman of the Australian Record Industry Association, which is all made up of people who sit as heads of record labels. That's literally what it is. So the new chair is Natalie Waller, who is a part of ABC Music. The mm -hmm. record label is part of the ABC. But there's no new CEO of Sony yet. There's a question that a lot of people slid into my DMs about two in the last week, basically asking me why more Sony artists haven't spoken mm. out about this alleged behaviour and specifically female artists. Now, from what I know, I wasn't involved in this story. Four Corners said publicly that they contacted many Sony artists. None of them wanted to go on the record. And I imagine from an outsider's perspective, it would be very difficult trusting that your workplace had your back given the alleged history of toxic culture and punishment that's been reported. So if you are still within a company, going out on the record is a pretty big deal when you see the story and the allegations that have been happening over decades. And when Sony Music Headquarters hasn't really been, in my opinion, quite overt in their support mm. of beyond him being removed, you know, sort of like what to think. But I also think there's something bigger here at play that I think we need to remember who has to tell this story? Once again, the victims have to rehash mm. their stories instead of the alleged perpetrators defending the allegations. Dennis Hanlon wasn't part of the Four Corners story. He gave a statement. But it's, again, the wrong way around. The victims have to rehash these stories. Yeah. You saw on Monday night how painful that was for many of them. 
And then artists, and particularly female artists, may feel, even if they had no experiences of their own, speaking about this story, speaking about this company, means that their story gets hijacked that by story, it. yes. So forever they're the person who's, who spoke out. They're not the artist making the art. They're not the artist releasing the albums. It consumes their own story. And I totally understand why you wouldn't that want that to be painted with that brush for the rest of their, your career because that happens. You can't deny that that doesn't happen. So when you ask about why there wasn't people speaking out from various corners, maybe just think about what speaking mm. out what that means to you as a person and also what that means to you and your career. And I know that it's super nuanced and very messy, but it's way easier for us to sit as audience members and going, why aren't we hearing from Guy Sebastian and Delta Goodrum and Jessica Mowboy and all these people? It's like, well, just take a step back and think about what what this means. There's so much going on behind this. Just take a step back. It's It's a huge thing to talk about. It's interesting that you said, um, the artists have been asked to speak out about it, particularly the women. And it's like, again, it falls on the shoulders of women to call this shit out. Like, where are the yeah. men calling this shit out? Yes. Like, where are they? Like, what about the people, you know, that they, they, they were on the program, but, like, what about, what about the men discussing, the men in the music industry talking about this stuff? It, it's coming from us all the time. And, frankly, it's exhausting, you know? I think it's time for the men to step up and start calling stuff out. We we don't get enough of that. We don't hear it. And perhaps, yes, they're possibly scared and frightened to say the wrong thing, but, my goodness, it would be better than nothing. Yeah. 100%. If you want to hear more about why this Me Too movement in Australia seems so stifled, if you're confused... There's a fantastic podcast called Everybody Knows. It's a five-part podcast by Ruby Jones, who hosts the 7am podcast. And it basically looks into our Me Too movement. And it's very much about the Sony music story. But it's also about when it all started, you know, kicking off with the allegations against Jeffrey Rush, covering the allegations against Craig McLaughlin, why it paused, why our defamation laws have held back stories that we see emerge overseas, all of that stuff. So it's really interesting take on the the machinations of what happens in Australia. And if you're ever sort of wondering, why haven't we had this great reckoning? This might give you a bit more context. It's mm. fantastic. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. It's really, really yeah. great. Hey, Zan, you know how last week we read the article that everybody was talking about, which was about Bad Art Friend, um, mm. so that other people didn't have to do that long read? I feel this week's long read, uh, all about Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, is in a similar basket. It's something that we have read that we hope you'll never have to read. Um, and it is the GQ profile on the two and their super hot personas and their super hot romance. It's called True Mm. Romance. Um, And as part of doing this for the Bang Fam, I just had a little side note after I'd read it and that was, I can't believe I had had to read this twice. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. I just, I, I don't know if it's me getting old or I read this, especially the first half, like I felt a little bit like there was a bit of sick in the back of my Ready, ready to come up. Like my face was just. 
<laughs> it's so, I I don't know. Like, I, I, it's about, well, I mean, I don't even, I'm not even into the music of Machine Gun Kelly. It just sounds like even the more watered down pop punk of the 90s, which I didn't like even then, and somehow it's come back <laughs> around, and that's fine. Be what into whatever you're into, that's fine. But he's teamed up with Megan Fox who is called the hottest woman on earth and all that stuff. And those two together are just rank. It's <laughs> rank. Stop it. Like they're going off, you know, they're in a studio. Of course they're in a studio because he records, man. He couldn't possibly be fucking doing the dishes <laughs> at home in his tracksuit pants. But, no, he's in the recording studio and they're tattooing each other. Like who does that? <laughs> and then they kiss and this poor journo has to sit behind like, and like kind of look somewhere else while they're doing it being hot. And I just... I just can't. Like, I, I don't know what's <laughs> happened. Maybe my sex drive has turned off completely post-COVID and I and my tracksuit pants are going to stay on my body forever. I'm not sure. But this is gross. And all that parading around on the red carpet where they're putting their tongues in each other's mouths, like, not at this time, you guys. It's COVID. Like, we don't need to see that. But there's soap. But, but it, it's actually kind of, like, and good on them if I was that hot and that, you know, I don't know, good on them, but I just I wish they would have some sort of self-awareness that no one else is that interested in how horny they are. <laughs> no you know one's what this that is? interested. This is a total capture of that intoxicating first year or two oh. of love when you're in a bubble. We've oh. all been there, Miff. Don't tell mm. me you haven't. Oh, all the time. I love that time. And then the rest of it, phew, downhill. Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> it's full of it's full of drama. I would say this, just as a note to anyone, do not get any tattoos in this time period. No. Wait till you kick into we 18 know what months. <laughs> We're known forever. But Such like- is life. Don't do it. I loved this article. Did you? I like when you said to me Ugh. this makes me want to vom a little bit. I read it <laughs> thinking it would be awful, but you know what it reminded me and the and the and the the giveaways in the title itself. It kind of harks back to the intensity of those relationships. Billy Bob and Angelina wearing mm. blood vials around their necks. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and Machine Gun Kelly actually played Tommy Lee in The Dirt on Netflix. So that's perfect. Do you think though, but it feels, do you think though they're just trying to replicate? Like it feels to me like a simulacra of those yes. kind of characters. Like it doesn't actually feel like they're even real or into it that much. They're just, it's just this performative relationship. Well, it could be because I don't know. It just, it feels like a relationship of another time and of our time, of the mm. 90s. And I where don't they're need watching to live that again. True <laughs> romance. They're watching Point Break, you know, and it's at, the, at that time we were watching those those films and we were thinking they were awesome. But you look back now and you're like, oh, my God, such toxic relationships and awful humans. Mm. But they're in that and maybe they are play acting. Maybe they're fully feeling it. I just felt like I was being transported to another era. It was just <laughs> wild and I was into it. I am I was the weed. Into it. How's the comment? I am the weed. He turned up at a club and he came, he just appeared with no face. This is what Megan's saying. And uh, he and, and then he disappeared. Uh, he smelled of weed and she said, you smell of weed. And he said, I am the weed. And I just didn't get it. And then that was how they fell in love and they weren't meant Can to meet. Can I say? Yeah. Are you the weed? The best. The best response to this piece is Celeste Barber, of course. Oh, so of course. along 
along with the article, there's an amazing photo shoot and Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly in one of the photos are, how do I describe it? Machine Gun Kelly is standing up. He's got kind of an oversized jacket on, maybe some leather pants. Mm. I think he's got like leather chaps. There's an exposed part of his crotch somewhere. She's basically naked and sitting on the side with a couple of straps that could constitute a bra and some, I don't know what's happening, but she's pointing a gun kind of at his crotch. So Celeste Barber and her hot husband have recreated this. (laughs) And this is, and this is the, this is the caption. He forgot to bring my pants. So I shot him in the dick. Go, Celeste. There, there it is. That's all you need. That's all you need. Oh, that's so good. Can I just go through a couple of the quotes, though, in the article? It's so good. Okay, this is Machine Gun F- Kelly. I nearly said Machine Gun Fellatio again. That was a band in the 90s, so, you know, it's right. It's, it's, all it's, it's Yeah. Okay, this is this is how much, I, like, it just makes my skin crawl because I just feel like they're someone's writing like a, um, someone said it's like fan fiction, like they're concocting fan fiction in their own lives. Okay, so get this quote. Mm. Even our first kiss, she wouldn't kiss me. We just put our lips right in front of each other and breathed each other's breath and then she just, COVID and safe. Then she just left. <laughs> of course she did. And then this rank date that they went on, um, it's it's awful, where he takes her in to a car, um, he picked her up in a 1974 car or something, Cadillac, I think, and they listened to mm. Ella Fitzgerald. Of course they did. Bit of jazz for romance. And then um, his mate made a this, it was like a flower arrangement and then they had a the picnic and then, um, then they went up to the top of the Roxy Theatre, the roof, and they played pop punk and made out. Like, yuck. And yuck, I'm not here for this. It's like, that sounds like the worst date ever. Played pop punk. Could could you imagine anything less romantic than that? It's a, no, awful. But they, it sounds like they're living in their own version of a movie. Mm. Hollywood people aren't normal. Uh, they're living in a fantasy. I don't, I don't know. I reckon it's, I don't think it's real. I don't think they're that into each other. I think they're into the Ooh. idea of each other and themselves, Ooh. but they're not that into each other. I think, you know, all these great relationships are inevitably a publicity stunt in some way, shape or form. He needs it because his music's not very good. <laughs> oh, the drums. Uh, I mean, they do go into some really good stuff in the article. Like they are dealing with the various traumas that they've experienced um, and, you know, good on them for that and... I hope that they can work through that stuff together, but the rest of it, <laughs> I'm like Celeste Barber. I feel crook. I'll put it in the show notes and you can decide what you feel. You definitely have to check out these images, though. Yeah. Bloody incredible. Hey, Miff, before we get into what we're banging on about this week, just a little heads up. We were so excited a couple of months ago to announce our very first Barossa bang <laughs> due to be heading to... Grapes of Mirth Festival. We've never done a bang on live in South Australia and we're super excited. It was due to be happening 
next weekend. Oh, was it? October was it next the weekend? 22nd. See, I've yeah. already forgotten because it's been cancelled, sadly. Well, well it's been postponed. Yeah. Yes. So if you've got tickets, you would know this already. Um, hold on to those tickets if you can. It's not happening this year for obvious reasons. It will be happening in 2022 and we're going to be there in October 2022. Who knows what kind of humans will be then, but we'll definitely be in the Barossa uh, towards the end of October and you can check out the Grapes of Mirth website for all the details. We cannot wait to be there. Oh, that is going to be a much, much longed-for wine time myth by the time we get there. Do you think the (laughs) pandemic will be over and we will be able to greet each other like Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly with our tongues? Just tongues, I'm just going to go up else, to or every, just breathe, just breathe and every bank fan member and just stand a millimetre <laughs> away from breathe. them and share their breath. Yeah. That's how I'm, it's going to be the new greeting in 2022. Rank, go away, <laughs> go away. I love it though. Uh, what are you banging on about this oh, week? Oh, yeah, forgot, nearly forgot, of course. Um, <laughs> hey, excellent new TV show that was on SBS. And you can watch it, no doubt, on Catch Up um, On Demand. It's the new show, New Gold Mountain, which has been directed by the fabulous Corrie Chen, who I adore. She's uh, an amazing director. It is a gold rush western that's told from a Chinese perspective. It's a murder mystery. It's all of those things. But it's just a wonderful example of the stories that we've been told, which are usually from a male perspective, from a white male perspective, any kind of TV show about the gold rush or movie or whatever, it's always that. It's never been, you're lucky if it comes from a woman's perspective, put it that way. Mm. And this time it's from a Chinese character's perspective or many Chinese characters' perspectives who were very, very predominant on the gold fields in Australia for a very, very long time. And I loved it. I loved the first episode, watched it last night and I can't wait to see the rest. English will take their pound of flesh. Blacks. Chinese. Irish. Doesn't matter. <gasps> There's blood coming. And a quick extra, little extra bang for you. Um, I watched the fabulous documentary Step Into Paradise, which was all about Jenny Key and Linda Jackson's creative relationships. Jenny Key, of course, um, an incredible printmaker, Linda, and it's an extraordinary Australian designer and their relationship, friendship, and how wild they must have been in the time when they came up uh, creatively here in Australia and overseas. So, like, I loved it, absolutely loved it. So make sure you check that one out as well. I'm very excited about seeing that. I need to catch up on that. Have I told you about the time that I met Jenny and Linda and did a talk with them? Oh, amazing. I've met Jenny too. She was in my documentary. They are the best. She's wild. I haven't met Linda. What's she like? They're both incredible and the reason that I was doing it was because an artist friend of mine, Carla Fletcher, painted both of them on separate years for the Archibald. Oh, how wonderful. And I did a chat at the, I think it was at the Bendigo, no, Ballarat. It was the Ballarat Art, uh, Art Gallery, which is funny because that's where New Gold Mountain is being mm. set and filmed. Sovereign um, anyway, Hill, where my all... Deb dress was made. It's filmed at Sovereign <laughs> Hill. That's the other part that I'm excited about. I freaking love Sovereign Hill. I do too. Anyway. Jenny Key, Linda Jackson, we're about to do this talk. I meet them for the first time and I wear very monochromatic clothes and I didn't want to, I knew that they would be popping with colour, but I wanted to wear a feature piece to pay tribute to the legends that they are. And I found this pair of old sort of, what do you call them when they're just try like seconds, like they've never been actually put out, but they were just sort Mm. of test boots at this 
shoe sale in Sydney and they were Romance Was Born bird boots. You've probably seen me wear them mm. on ABC News Breakfast. They've got a little bit on the they're, side that looks like a cocky, cocky's flair. They're, they're incredible. It's and beautiful. I bought them for that talk because I wanted to pay tribute. And as soon as I met them, Jenny just fell to my feet and <laughs> grabbed my boots and was like, your boots are amazing. Tell me all about them. And I was just like, Jenny, get off. Don't stop me. What are you doing at my feet? Oh, I love that. I love that. Best boot purchase ever. They're they just incredible. The They're such boots. amazing, amazing women. And this is part, this documentary is part of a larger campaign called Know My Name, mm. which is about telling the stories of women in art and yep. in Australian art. There's heaps of stuff happening at the National Gallery. There's heaps of stuff happening on ABC TV. So I know we're going to be talking about it over the next few months, but, yeah, I'm so glad that there's a documentary on them because they are incredible artists and true, true innovators. Innovators, but they've also contributed so much culturally to Australia and how we see ourselves and how the world sees us. And, and I think, you know, over the years perhaps Jenny Key becoming famous, particularly famous because of the Lady Di Koala Jumper, um, I think we forgot how incredibly creative and wild they were. And, again, it's inspirational. It's it's how you want to treat your life, you know. You want to feel the way they felt about contributing to our culture and our very rich culture. Mm. And, yeah, I just loved it. It was really great. Be like Jenny and Linda. Mm. Be like Jenny and Linda. That's right. What about you, Zan? What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about something very different. Ooh. It is an intense new series called Vigil. It's on Foxtel and Binge. The basic, it's a BBC drama series, sort of like a mini series, six episodes. So you know it's good. A lot of money in this thing. Mm. But basically the story behind it is there's a death of a sailor on a Scottish submarine. The submarine's called Vigil. And that sparks an investigation. And because subs need to stay hidden, the detective needs to go on board to make her inquiries. So she needs to be choppered in, dropped in the little pothole oh, and <laughs> hang out hang out on the submarine. Oh, well, that's my worst and nightmare, where... being dropped, in, dropped into a porthole <laughs> of a submarine. Yeah, that's where the claustrophobia begins. Mm. Um, she's also got her own trauma related to water and being trapped. <laughs> and then once she gets on board, it's clear that there's a lot more going on that there's, this is a suspicious death and there's a lot more going on. I think this was a murder. That's absurd. If you're asking who's capable, anybody. This is a coordinated attack, sir. Everyone knows it's a cover-up. You're going to let them die? This is a staggering act of hostility. But we're not at war. That is an illusion. We have always been at war. It is so riveting. It's one of those series that is like a really hearty meal. So I just have one episode, then I'm like unclench my fists and go, okay, I'm done. Mm. <laughs> Give it a couple of days and I'll come back for more. <laughs> but it's just so brilliantly done. Incredible cast. Highly recommend Vigil on Foxtel and Binge. I bloody loved it. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I, would, I would say I'll watch that, but I don't think I will. I can't cope. Already just the, just the idea of it makes me feel a bit sick. <laughs> Not for the claustrophobic, that's for sure. No, no. Um, is that it? Are we done? We're done. Yeah. Went too quickly. Good chat, though. Good chat. Great chat. Love having chats. <laughs> um, Love a self-review. <laughs> Good chat. Great chat. <laughs>
does. I always feel good after this. Yeah, me too. I, feel, I can't I wait till lighter. we can be sitting next to each other again. Oh, and no, have any no, I never want to sit next to you again. I've, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've turned. You don't want to share my air. You I don't, don't want, want to share my air. I don't want you to dare just breathe <laughs> a centimetre from my face and then, then fuck off. Like, I can't handle oh. that. I'll just have, yeah. No, I do. Of course I do. I can't wait to see your face. Cannot wait. Oh, uh, will I ever going to see your face again? Yes. I'll see you next week. I am the weed. I am weed. <laughs> I am weed. All right. And then she goes, a poof <laughs> of smoke. <laughs> see you, dickhead. See ya. Love you. <laughs> Love you too. on. You know what that was like? That was like, no, you hang up. Yeah. No, yeah. you hang up. <laughs> <laughs>